Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome back to Movie House Concessions on the MHM Podcast Network, where each episode we play random film from the display case to see if it tastes as fresh as the day it was released. I'm Chris. And I'm Podcaster Camacho. And for today's exciting episode, we are reviewing the 2006 documentary, Idiocracy, (laughs) directed by Mike Judge and starring Luke Wilson, Maya Rudolph, Dex Shepard, Terry Crews, and ass. A whole lot of ass. What was what was more pleasing for you, Patrick? All the ass in the film or all the ow my balls? Uh, I'll go with the ass. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's a little less painful. If, if that's my choice between the two, I guess that's the way I'm going to go. Well, it's either that or I'm baiting. Yeah. All right, Idiocracy. The film begins with a narrator explaining how stupid and irresponsible people are outbreeding intelligent people. And it's producing a society of illiterate dumbasses. We then cut to the year 2005 where Joe Bowers works as a U.S. Army librarian. He's selected for a top secret hibernation project, which is to last a year. The military also hires a prostitute named Rita. She will be joining this experiment. The army seals the two in their respective hibernation chambers, but soon after the officer in charge is arrested for starting a prostitution ring. Oh no. The hibernation project is quickly forgotten and a whole 500 years pass. It's not until the great garbage avalanche of 2505 that the hibernation chambers are set free. Joseph crashes into Frito Bendejo's house, which interrupts Frito's favorite show called Ow My Balls. Annoyed, Frito tosses Joe out the window before Joe stumbles to a hospital where Dr. Lexus MD diagnoses him as tarted and fucked up. When the doc notices Joe doesn't have a tattoo on his left wrist, he panics. This is when Joe notices the date is actually March 3rd, 2505, and 500 years have passed since the army put him in that little chamber. Scared and confused, Joe runs away from the hospital but winds up under arrest at a Carl's Jr. vending machine for not paying his hospital bill and for not having that damn tattoo on his wrist. Joe finds himself in court with Frito, of all people, as his defense lawyer, And, of course, dumbass Frito helps the prosecution convict Joe, and the judge orders him to prison. Once there, Joe gets that wrist tattoo he's never wanted and is renamed Not Sure. The jail then mandates Joe take an IQ test, and that's when he finds out how simple it is and how stupid humanity has become. He uses this to his advantage to trick the prison guards into believing that he's just finished serving his time, 
And of course, they release him. Joe returns to Frito's apartment for help for some weird reason. And he only agrees to help Joe after he promises him billions of dollars from a savings account that Joe is going to open up once he returns to the past in some sort of time machine that Fritos claims exists. The two head out for that mysterious time machine, and that's when Joe spots Rita, who's free. Frito then takes the two of them to Costco, where the authorities rearrest Joe. However, this time, instead of prison, the cops take him to the White House. There, President Dwayne, Alessandro, Mountain Dew, Herbert, Camacho, and Patrick's cousin greets him. Joe's IQ test has ranked him as the most intelligent man in the world, and Camacho makes him Secretary of the Interior and orders him to fix the food and crop shortages that are everywhere. In the big dust bowl that's followed. It doesn't take Joe long to learn that Brondo, the thirst mutilator, which has electrolytes, has replaced water, and it is what is responsible for the dust bowl. Joe has the crops watered properly, but doing so causes Brondo's stock to become worthless overnight, and that in turn means most of society is now without a job. And this is all at the expense of no visible change to the crops. So what are dumb people going to do? Well, they're going to riot, and they're going to blame it all on Joe. So Camacho makes Joe the, the scapegoat, and he sentences him to participate in Monday Night Rehabilitation, which is a demolition derby, Romanesque sort of thing with Stifler as the main death guy. While Joe's rehabilitation is going on and he's fighting for his life, Rita discovers the water Joe's been using has actually made the crop sprout in the fields. She sends Frito with a cameraman to televise it, and when President Camacho sees the new plants sprouting on the big screen televisions hanging above, he pardons Joe. The president then makes Joe the vice president, and soon after, Joe will become Camacho's successor. Joe and Rita marry, where they have three of the world's smartest children. Frito, on the other hand, marries eight women and fathers 32 of the world's dumbest kids. Thus, the idiocracy continues on. Is that about to summarize it for you, Patrick? Uh, yes, but it took about just as long as the movie. <laughs> not much to this film, but it's the idiocracy. There's not much to idiots. No. Uh, Patrick, did you do numbers on this gem or were you too bored? No, I did numbers. All right. Idiocracy was released on September 1st, 2006 in a whopping six markets. <laughs> I'm sorry. Has... Single digits? Six. Yes. Six markets. Five major cities. Five major cities and then Austin, Texas, where Mike Judge was from. Uh, was released the same day as such classics as Nicolas Cage's The Wicker Man. Crank with Jason Statham and The Illusionist with Edward Norton, uh, the same month as Hollywoodland, The Black Dahlia, Gridiron Gang, Flyboys, and Chris's all-time favorite film, Jackass Number 2, The Empire Strikes Back of the Jackass series. It's the great Muppet caper of, uh, never mind. There's not very much going on that month, by the way. No, there was not. Uh, September is typically a slower. Oh, but back in 2006, used to be a lot slower. Now, any movie can do well for three or four weeks. Uh, grossed, uh, except for apparently this movie, grossed <laughs> $444,000 at the U.S. box office 
and grossed an additional $51,000 worldwide for a grand total of just over 495000 not million, $495,000 at the box office. However, it grossed in rentals on uh, DVD when it came out a few months later, $9 million. <laughs> so it did better on DVD than it did on in the box office. Was nominated for one Teen Choice Award. Uh, yes, choice, I nominated choice, him. Yeah, choice movie, Breakout Mail for Justin Long, uh, who was nominated for four films, Accepted, The Breakup, Live Free or Die Hard, and Idiocracy. Unfortunately, he lost to Shia LaBeouf for Transformers and Disturbia. Oh, my Lord. that That's the rough part. Uh, uh, discussions were made with Terry Crews for a spinoff film or series, something to do with him, uh, in the late uh, 2000s, before, shortly around 2010, uh, for him to reprise his role as President Camacho. Uh, he did do some election promo videos, I believe, in 2012 and was going to do them in 2016, but unfortunately did not. Uh, thought it would possibly be tacky, I guess. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes yeah, has that's it the election to pick is tacky. Right. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 73% critics and 60% audience. And that is the numbers on Idiocracy. And what does Chris list as his number one film of all time? Uh, Jack has uh, number two. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm Jack has number two. Oh, sorry. As I've said in the past, this is my number one film of all time is shitty and as fun as it is to make fun of it, which I'm sure we'll do. All right, so Casablanca, right? Star Wars, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark, Blade Runner, one of your all-time favorite films. Right. This you put higher than that. Yes, not I because can... it's better made, or has a better story, or has better music, but this one is. This is like 1984 of today's movies. It this is, I definitely think that uh, there's a lot of truth in this film. I'm not saying we're going there completely, but as I've said in the past, if uh, this, this is more realistic than Star Trek. And if you don't believe me, just count the number of idiots you meet in a day and compare them to the number of Vulcans you meet in a day and see which number is bigger. And that is why idiocracy is number one, better than Casablanca, but I will not rank it higher. If that makes sense. Uh, okay. Feel free to make fun of me. We could get out of the way now, or did you want to just spread it throughout the podcast? No, no. Everybody has their own individual opinions. And, you know, I did enough research and reading about this film that there, uh, even, even the critical ratings, six or 73% critics and 60% audience. This is, is as much as I would look at this and go, this is like a less than 10, 10% critic rating. That would be my guess, a less than 10% percent critic rating and probably less than 30 percent audience rating i was shocked at those numbers but there are a lot of people who i I read about it who like this movie because they say it's prophetic and that uh, you know my judge made the joke it's like hey you know i'm not really a prophet but i was just off by you know 490 years because the film takes place 500 years in the future Mm -hmm. Uh, and and he was referring specifically to the Trump era presidency, and and I guess I just don't find it as you know comedic the, the real life politics compared to this film, and 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 
and everything is just taken to the such the nth degree. It it just, uh, yeah, it just, it, it was just wasn't funny to me. I I appreciated there was a great cast, but I did not find it overwhelmingly funny. Now, I knew this would not be your humor, at all. No, and no. Uh, but I didn't say anything because I wanted you to watch it with the thought that this was my favorite movie ever. And you're probably sitting there, what the fuck is this problem? Well, no, no, because I knew that going in. And, and and that information even colored my opinion because I was sitting there going, okay, I, you know, I, I've heard you say it, you know, it was very, it, you know, kind of predicted the future a little bit. And I went, okay. So as I'm watching it, I'm going, yeah, not really. You know, <laughs> it's just, I mean, yeah, it's if you take it to the extreme, but you know, if you take anything to the extreme, it's it, it, you, know, you can find certain things in it. I mean, it, the 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 globalization of like corporations and things like that, and uh, to the point where it's, they're pretty much running things. Yeah, I think that's very true, <laughs> and I think that becomes more and more true every single day. But I, you know, I don't necessarily think it's funny. <laughs> I just think it's true. <laughs> I tell you what. If Dwayne Johnson were to run for president right now, I think he would stand a very strong chance of being our first professional wrestler cousin of yours. That's president. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I agree with it. But unlike, uh, you know, uh, President Camacho in the film, I think Dwayne Johnson is highly intelligent and and picks his shots better than, you know, other politicians, you know. Yeah, yeah, he. I mean, it would be kind of a joke because he, he we'd be sitting here going, he's a former wrestler, <laughs> but it is what it is. I, I would take him over the last couple of presidents. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't need to make him political, but I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, and I'll say to a certain extent, he generally surrounds himself with good people, with Vin Diesel, the sole exception. <laughs> Oh, that man's a, he's a delight. I think he's a uh, Canada's national treasure. Maybe. I don't know. Iceland's. I don't know. Diesel. I'm just, is he Canadian? No, no, he's not. <laughs> I was like, really? Somewhere our only Canadian fan has just stopped the podcast. Yeah. They like, do not put that man in with us. Do not put that man in. Us. Those, those are fighting words right there. Let's protest and close the borders for that reason. Alone. <laughs> Let's talk about some actors. Luke Wilson is the the main character of Joe Bowers. And the Wilson brothers, they could be hit or miss for me. But in general, I think they have pretty decent timing. And I think for an average dude, he was a pretty good casting choice for this one. What did you think of him? You know, of, of the Wilson brothers, he's my favorite. I, I prefer him over Owen, although I don't completely dislike Owen. I just generally have liked more of Luke Wilson's projects, this not being one of them. Um, but I, I like him. I agree with you. He's got an everyman quality that the, the nothing, uh, nothing about him screams exceptional. <laughs> Sorry, Luke. So not he, sure. Yeah. He, you know, it's, he does not play super intelligent in most films and, and he comes off as not super intelligent, which was what the role required. But he came off as likable or he comes off no. as likable in this films. No, it comes off. It's very, very likable uh, uh, in the role that he, and, but that's what he's, you know, he, that's what the, you're supposed to do. You're supposed to like that character. The female lead as the prostitute slash painter artist 
is Maya Rudolph. And I do love Maya Rudolph a lot in, in most things. And she, I, I wish there was more of her in this one because I know it's the story about Joe becoming uh, the, what was he? The secretary of interior. And, yes. uh, but I could have used more of her because I think she fit in better in the idiocracy world that he created. Yeah. You know, I, I too, like Maya Rudolph, I think she's an underappreciated comedian and I, you know, I wish she, she too often gets stuck in supporting roles in good films, but, and she's very great in them, but she doesn't get, kind of the female lead in a lot of films. And I, I liked her. I loved her on SNL. Um, and I think I, I, you know, and when I see her on television shows now, I go, Oh, I really like Maya Rudolph. I really do appreciate it. Now that being said, I didn't necessarily think she fit the role of prostitute very well. It was just like Maya Rudolph playing a prostitute. Not that she's not attractive or anything like that. It's just like, she's, you know, I, I think of her as too intelligent, too smart to play this dumb. And I don't think I, I had a, I had a schism where it just, I had a hard time accepting her as not that smart because I think she's extremely smart and she usually plays very, very smart. She was good at keeping the guys waiting. Yeah, that's true. The next main guy was uh, Frito with Dax Shepard. And at this time, I think I, I knew him from actually from Zathura more. Yeah, you got a good memory. I saw that once and forgot it. <laughs> oh, really? You know, it's funny because I actually like it as much as Jumanji, which, you know, kind of the same universe. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I've always enjoyed it, Dax's sense of humor. He plays ultra stupid in, in this one, of course, to the point of he, I felt his character was a little just too dumb for me, but uh, I still enjoyed his performance. You know, I've, I've never liked Dax Shepard in anything. And, and and I'm really hard pressed to think of something where I thought he was even okay. I didn't even remember him in Zathura. Um, and you and raved he, about him in chips. No, I did not. I've never seen that piece <laughs> oh. of shit. Um, the only thing that I can give him credit for is he married Kristen Bell and who I think is absolutely gorgeous and also a, a, a very talented actress and comedian. And I like a lot of the work that she does. Uh, but I've never really, really liked him in uh, any film that I can think of and him playing stupid. It was like, well, you know, that's pretty much most of his roles. And I, I believed it, but I didn't really like the character. I, I Somebody that I, you could have gotten rid of real easily for me. And I would have been fine with that. I was I'm trying to think what, because I don't see a whole lot of films with Terry Crews in it that come to mind, but I know he's in a lot. This was definitely the first film I ever saw him in. Uh, that Ooh. I remember him, Terry Crews. No, no, I'm trying to think of something prior to that. Oh. Um, no, I mean, it's, I, I've seen him in a lot of supporting films, you know, most notably, or supporting role in a lot of films, but most notably something like uh, uh, The Expendables, but that, that's more action, a little bit of comedy in there. Um, God, around that time, what was this, 2005, 2006? 2005. He was in Soul Plane, which I watched for about five minutes and turned the movie off because it was so bad. And I don't think I... That's, that's not helping me. <laughs> yeah. That, that is not a film that we will or I will ever be reviewing. Um, but that, that's the only other thing that I know uh, earlier of his. Oh, The Longest Yard. He was in The Longest Yard. 
with Adam with Sandler. Adam Sandler? Oh, I don't. Oh, that one was okay. I'm I'm quickly looking at his IMDb because I'm just, Malibu's Most Wanted playing eight ball. I saw that. Unfortunately, unfortunately forgot that. Uh, Starsky and Hutch. Huh. Don't remember in that him in that, but I I actually kind of enjoyed that. White Chicks. Oh, that's right. He played Latrell in White Chicks. Uh, that's a film I also too wish I could forget. But <laughs> now that's the uh, just the Wayne's brothers being absurd, and that's saying so, something for them. Yeah, first movie he made was in two thousand, the sixth day, with Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Vincent. Don't remember him in it. No, I don't either. Yeah, he was in Serving Sarah in two thousand and two with Matthew Perry and uh, Elizabeth Hurley. Uh, although I saw it. Don't remember him that. And then Friday After Next. I should know that one because my wife loves the Friday movies and we watch them quite frequently, but I do not remember him in that. So his early years are forgettable is what you're saying. Yeah. I, his early years are full of a lot of highly supporting roles. Which makes sense when you're just starting out. Yeah. So what is your opinion of Mike Judge in general, Patrick? Do you, do you enjoy the stuff that he makes, the films, the TV shows? Uh, you know, I, I don't exactly see that his humor is necessarily meshes with yours. I mean, he does Beavis and Butthead, King of the Hill, Silicon Valley. I mean, does his stuff really work for you in general? Okay, I've never seen Silicon Valley or King of the Hill. Um, I've seen, like at passing flipping through channels of king of the hill and i never thought it was funny i loved beavis and butthead in the day <laughs> <laughs> and i will preface it in the day i've tried to re-watch beavis and butthead with my kids now and it's not really funny it's really kind of stupid it's especially the movie the movie was not good i saw the movie once in the theater and that was the only time i that was more than enough yeah but I will say, Office is a treasure gem. That is a great, great film. What that film? His pulse, Office Space. Oh, okay. Um, he had the pulse on what it was work, what it was like to work in an office such as that, and pieces of flair and jokes. You know, like that. That one was. It has so many great one-liners, but it does really kind of express the frustration of working in like kind of the corporate society like that. And I think that is a, a great film that has clever dialogue and is probably the epitome of his success as, as a creator. Yeah. I think he's got very good observational skills about life in general. Uh, he doesn't always hit it out of the park with some of his shows. Uh, Silicon Valley, even though a lot of that humor was, right up my alley. It, it was very hard for me to watch. It was, it was too awkward for me. And I don't like that awkward type humor, but most of his other stuff really does work for me. He, he nails Texas life in King of the Hill nailed it in office space. And I think he's got a very good commentary on the dangers of where our society is going in this film. I, I mean, there, there is a cautionary tale aspect of it. Um, I don't think it is as is, is prophetic as a lot of people like to give it credit for. Uh, but I, I, I do think that there is a little bit of danger of, hey, we don't just want the most popular person being in charge of stuff. We want the smartest person being in charge of things. Uh, and, and, and we want to be making 
decisions that are best for us, not best for the corporations. And I think all those are true, but I've seen that same message in other films, you know, before told what I would say better I mean like the, the, the ridiculousness of kicked in the nuts, you know, or, uh, the, 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 the short, you know, shorting the language of, you know, just baiting and tarted and stuff like that. It was just like, it just didn't, it didn't appeal to me. I like clever dialogue that, you know, plays well. And I didn't think there was that much clever dialogue in this. Well, because it was idiots talking. You're talking like a tard to them. Yeah. All right. Let's go around the table. Not like we need to. <laughs> Patrick hated. I loved it. Uh, after all is said and done though, on a scale of one to five, do you consider this film a bad one or do you give it a high five, Patrick? Uh, I'll give it a, a one and a half. I mean, it's got relatively good production values. It's got a, a good cast uh, and a good cast of comedians. I expected more from that. It's got the pedigree that I, I thought would have been it make a, a really riveting comedy. And, and, and I'll and to be fair, I may revisit this film at some other point in time because the first time I saw office space, I didn't really, really like office space. It's only after I worked in an office that I really, really liked office space. And then I could <laughs> like to film a lot better. And I thought it, it captured a lot of those elements and repeat viewings of office space made that a lot more appealing about this. You know, my wife really likes Mike judge uh, specifically office space, but she liked Beavis and butthead. Uh, she didn't watch King of the Hill. And I don't think she's ever seen Silicon Valley either, but she's never seen this. And I'd like, uh, like to have her watch it sometime and I'll probably watch it with her. Um, not right now. Cause I just saw it and I don't want to go back and watch it again so soon. I want to forget some of this stuff uh, so that maybe it will have a better, better appeal to me. But uh, yeah, I, I it's not even the level of a two-star movie for me. Oh, I think it's comedy gold. <laughs> and you can. Mike Judge is a Canadian treasure from Austin. I was going to say, he's from Texas. <laughs> I give it four out of five stars, even though it's uh, the top of my list and there's films I would rate much higher, as Matt Patrick mentioned at the beginning. Blade Runner's probably next in line. I just think this is, I think it's a great cautionary tale that shows just how stupid life is getting. And, and it can be that much more stupid. <laughs> it's my eloquent non-tarded speech. Definitely non-tarded. All right. Well, that's it for our review of idiocracy. I'm surprised we even talked about it as long as we did actually. Uh, please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section. And for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com, rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. If you enjoyed today's review, and why wouldn't you, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the MHM Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. Or somewhere around 2506 next time, maybe. Until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm still Podcaster Camacho. And this concession stand is now closed. Patrick, you can free your balls now. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for Movie House Concessions, Rock on Brada, is brought to you by Marwan Nimra 
at netenteen.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Movie House Concessions, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC, unless otherwise noted.